Hi, I'm Ken Blanchard, and you're listening to Slapcast. Welcome back to the Slapcast. As you know, this is part two of two with Ken Blanchard. And I don't want to keep you waiting. Let's go ahead and get started. Talk to me a little bit about some of your bigger leadership challenges. Um that you're observing in the world today. So leadership challenges that you're seeing and how you believe servant leadership can address those challenges. Well, I think the biggest problem is when you get under stress and a lot of people are under stress now, you kind of forget about what you might've learned about leadership and you start being a command and control type. And I've been so proud of my son, Scott, and his leadership and his leadership team is that they're constantly communicating. Today we had a uh, what do you call it, a, a all company town meeting. <laughs> you know, over two hundred people were on the town meeting, and he shared, you know, where they were, and then he would have different guys and gals on his leadership team respond to questions and all that kind of thing. And every week he uh, sends out a letter to everybody in the company. Here's what we've been thinking, and here's where we're toying with and and uh, people just love that you know they share their vulnerability and boy I wish we knew the answer to that you know and and uh, so uh, so I think the biggest challenge is that uh, in, in tough times where this crisis is all you got to slow down and really think through your leadership and recognize that if you're going to be in a tough time it's not you that's going to get you out of it. It's it's we that's going to get you out of it. Yeah. And I think that's what's so key. And there's where servant leadership comes to comes to play. And I love what you said earlier about servant leadership. How there's the leadership portion, vision, direction, goals, and then there's the turning the hierarchy upside down. With essentially, you're working for them. And I think. When I, I've heard you talk about that um, more than once, I believe, if I'm not mistake, mistaken, you also spoke about this um, when you were interviewed by Simon Sinek, and you said this in that interview, you said, servant leadership is the only way to get great results and great relationships. Can yeah. You, can you- and the reason that is, you know, the people that when you first mentioned servant leadership, but they said they think, you know, you're talking about the image running in prison. They think you're not going to get the results. And yet it's the vision and direction and goals that sets up that we are interested in results and all. And so, but then when you turn the pyramid upside down, now you say, yeah, we're only going to get the results from we, not from me and all. And so that's the servant part of servant leadership. And so you've got both elements. And so the people that are in organizations that that have servant leadership and people say, 
Well, you know, give me some examples. Well, <laughs> you know, I already mentioned Southwest and Chick-fil-A, but you can look at Wegmans uh, uh, in the grocery business. I was chosen the number one company to work for, and I've done stuff with them, and they're absolutely serving leadership. And, uh, but you look at... Uh, at uh, Jimmy Blanchard, who ran Sonovas for years, they were named the best company to work for by Fortune. So often they asked him to stop applying, <laughs> and they started an all-star list. And and Jimmy is, uh, you know, just a servant leader. And said he, in fact, he was very clear with his people that uh, my leadership textbook is the Bible, wow. and I'm you know here to serve, not to be served. And uh, just uh, pretty amazing stuff. Disney. I mean, the way they set that whole yeah. thing up at Disney, where it's it's all about the guests uh, there. The, they think they're in the happiness business. That's what that's what uh, Walt started them off. And their picture of the future is that every guest, and they always call them guests leaving the park, would have the same smile on their face leaving the park as when they uh, entered. You know, and then their values are. Number one value is safety because Walt's if people get carried on one of our parks in a stretcher, they're not going to have the same smile on their face leaving as they enter. And then the second value is courtesy, which is, you know, taking care of the people and serving is all about courtesy and service. And the third value is, is uh, all about your role uh, in there. It's, uh, you know, what is your position here? What, what's your role? It's, uh, and, and then the last one is running, is success, running a profitable, well-run organization. Those are all, uh, you know, uh, rank, rank ordered from beginning with safety, then to safety. And the show is the third one. That's when you know what your role is. And so, you know, and Starbucks, I mean, you know, uh, he's led that consistently from a servant leadership standpoint. So that's why I go, duh, you know, how, how only the leaders of all their business, all the business areas, you know, practice what we preach and where, where are the rest of you, you know? Well, what do you say to the doubters of servant leadership? Cause there, there is a lot of misunderstanding out there. And I know that that can't be helped other than when people inquire and get informed, but what do you say to doubters that say servant leadership isn't tough enough, isn't, I've even heard people say, well, you know, that's nice, but you know, what about when you have to fire someone or what about when you need to, you know, redirect, as you said earlier, um, is servant leadership not tough enough? What, what's your response to doubters? Well, my first response to doubters is give me your name so I can put you on my prayer list. <laughs> but but like the second, <laughs> second thing is that uh, uh, doubters just, you know, don't want to look at, at the at the facts. You know, and I, you know, I named all these companies that are leaders in their field. You know, what's 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 bad about their results? You know, and uh, so that if if you're there to make sure of the clear goals, and the goals got to support the goals of the organization, and then what you do is you help people accomplish their goals. I mean, why isn't that a win-win-win right. uh, situation? And so uh, that's why I always add prayer into my uh, <laughs> response <laughs> to them. And, you know, it's interesting. The, the biggest uh, thing that holds people back from being servant leaders is the human ego. Mm -hmm. uh, and we call that, you know, edging God out or everything good uh, outside and, and – uh, We've actually started a 12-step 
Ego's Anonymous program, you know, and because it's the biggest addiction in the world, you know, because there's two forms of ego. One is false pride when you have a more than philosophy, you think brighter than, you're smarter than. Uh, and as they did in the book, I'm okay, you're okay, they, they found that people who felt uh, I'm okay, you're not okay, they were covering up not okay feelings about themselves. Mm. And so leaders with big egos are scared little kids inside because they're not comfortable with who they are and they don't want to reveal that maybe they don't know what they're, what they're doing. And the other form of ego is fear and self-doubt, uh, which people would say, that's an ego thing. Sure, you're focused on yourself, but uh, you just you have a less than philosophy. Uh, and uh, so uh, we run Egos Anonymous meetings, you know, because it's uh, most of the negative addictions in the world are from a less than philosophy. You know? Why do people overdrink and sex and drugs and all? Because they want some outside agent to help them feel better about themselves. And so in our Egos Anonymous meetings, we have people stand up and say, hi, I'm Ken. And everybody will say, uh, you know, hi, Ken. And then they say, hi, I'm an egomaniac. <laughs> they have to tell in the last, you know, 48 hours or so, last time their ego got in the way. And because our ego particularly continually bites us and, and it's like any addiction, the more you aim it, the better you have to con control it, you know. And I say to people, if you can't think of a time in the last 48 hours, either at work or at home, when your ego got in the way and you, you know, you, you get home and your wife said, you could have called, you know, so the dinner isn't cold. Well, what do you think I'm doing all day? You know, and you, know, and you, you, know, you get your big there ego. There you go. <laughs> so uh, I said, if you can't think of a time when your ego in the way lasts 48 hours, you probably lie about other things, too. <laughs> now, is it fashioned after the traditional 12 steps? Or is yes, it, is it, it has all the steps, yeah. That's awesome. And, you know, and has, you know, has God in there as helping you get out of it. I'm a fan of those steps and, um, and, and the transformative power of that process. So that's very well, interesting to yeah. me. I went to Overeaters Anonymous at one point. That really? was really pretty powerful. Yeah. I yeah, never I, knew that. I was way 235 at one time. And, and so, uh, I'm now down to 185, which is where I should be. But, uh, it was, it was so helpful. The people were so supportive Yeah. and having everybody be honest of, you know, where they're falling short and how we can help each other. Especially when it's hard to find that in other places yeah. in society, that kind of honesty yeah. and transparency yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to switch gears here and talk a little bit about my favorite Ken Blanchard company's program, which is SL2. Yes. Uh -huh. um, and the reason why it's my favorite is, it, and I'm very biased, but I really feel like it addresses um, whenever I talk to employers and they have a problem with performance management, when I talk to employers and they have a problem with communication, with goal setting, with um, they're complaining about someone not doing their job, I always go back to, I can find this in SL2. I can find a solution here. And so that's why I'm a big fan of it. Um, situational leadership, I, I've heard people say, I, and I know the program's called SL2, um, but some people have said, well, situational leadership and servant leadership aren't the same. I actually have an answer to that. But I'm curious, from your perspective, what is the connection 
between servant leadership and SL2? Um, well, the, the connection is that, that there's three aspects of SL2, which is our situational approach to effective leadership. And the first is goal setting. <laughs> Because if you don't set any goals, and that's what that's the leadership part of servant leadership, you can't use different strokes for different folks, you know, right. because, well, not only do we say you need different strokes for different folks, you need different strokes for the same folks on different parts of their job. Right. So once the goals are clear, you know, now you turn the pyramid upside down, Because, but also part of performance planning is to analyze their development level. Uh, for each of their goals, are they enthusiastic beginner that this is maybe a new goal? You know, gee, I've never, you know, managed this particular area, and, and so they need a lot of direction and close supervision initially, or they might be a disillusioned learner where they've, you know, worked on a goal for a while and it's harder than they thought. They're a little discouraged and all, and they not only need continual direction, but they need some tender, loving care now. And if you can coach them through disillusionment, then they get over to what we call capable but cautious, uh, you know, where they got the skills, but they still need some tender, loving care until you eventually get them to self-directed achiever where that you can really now delegate to them and, and all. And the biggest problem, and it gets back to what we were talking about earlier with leaders, is they might say, here's the goal, you know, and they get very directive about it, and then they go immediately to a, delegating leadership right. style and they miss going through the curve see and then the person screws up and then they go back to directing leave alone zap you know uh you know that's what, that's what we call that uh, whole uh, philosophy it's uh, kind of seagull management and uh so uh, uh it's it uh, sl2 really says that if you really want to help people win you first got to look at the goals, then you got to analyze where they are, determine what's the best initial leadership approach with them, and now you move to coaching, day-to-day uh, -day coaching, what do you do? You give them the style you promised them. Mm -hmm. And what you hope is that over time, you can change your leadership style. And so, for example, when I was a college teacher, you know, uh, when the students first came in, you know, I said, okay, here's Here's the final exam. Here's what we're going to do. You know, boom, boom, boom. They're very directive and all. And then over time, I would gradually change my style to a, from directing to coaching and then from coaching to supporting. And, you know, at the, the end of a class, you know, if somebody outside came in, they wouldn't even know who the teacher was, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, because they're all really running the class and doing things and, you know, I've moved them from dependence to independence, but but it's a journey, uh, not an announced destination. And I think that's what's really exciting about SL2. It kind of meets people where they are and then helps them build up to where they can now be self-directed achievers, which I think people want to be uh, there. And a lot of insecure managers are afraid about losing power, you know, I mean, if they're making decisions on their own and all that, and that's when uh, they need our prayers. <laughs> one of the one of the most impactful things that happened to me after learning the SL two model, I was actually supposed to get my certification that week as well, so <laughs> I couldn't do that either. Um, but when I learned what my default style was, which my default style is S three, 
I then had an understanding of why I felt more tension when I needed to show up for that, that enthusiastic beginner, when I needed to show up as an S1. And for me, that did a couple things. Number one, it helped me understand why that tension existed. Because I thought before that, that tension meant something was wrong. And so because it felt like something was wrong, I avoided it. I avoided giving high direction because it felt, it felt hard and, and intense for me. Now I've learned to accept that that's going to be a stretch for me as I continue to get used to that. And um, so it helped me remove judgment. Which is mm-hmm. self judgment, which just wasn't helping me, right? It wasn't helping me show up for my staff, and so that was a huge revelation to me of just accepting where I where I fall naturally, and accepting that it's going to be a stretch for me to fall into that S one S two, since I tend to really thrive in, hey, you've got this covered, you know, just check back in a week, and you know, let me know if you need something, you know, that's where I thrive. And so when I have to give you templates and instructions and and step-by-step, I feel like I'm overreaching when really that might be exactly what they need. And so it really freed me as a leader to accept where I was and accept the tension around what was harder for me as a leader. Yeah, and I think it also, uh, because I have a similar problem to you. I like the S3 and S4, you know, (laughs) the supporting and the delegating is it helps me decide when I hire people, what kind of people do I want to hire? I want to hire winners, you know. And so, uh, for example, I have two editors I work very closely with. And, you know, I mean, they, they are winners. One was a, you know, major editor for two two major uh, publishing companies and all. And then uh, uh, when a gal came in to work with us uh, and uh, started off doing something else and my editor realized that this gal had great editing skills and she mentored her and built up. And so uh, uh, if I hire winners, then I can keep to my strength area. It doesn't mean that maybe sometime they might need some direction in an area where maybe they, they need some help. But I usually want to find out, well, who in the organization is good at that that I can yeah. <laughs> pass you off to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, so... I would love to hear a little bit about, um, and you can speak specifically or in general about this, but how have you, how have mistakes that you've made in leadership, how have you leveraged them to be your greatest lessons? And, you know, what did you learn? How did you use that to help others? Kind of wrap, I know that's a lot of questions, but really what, what I'm interested in is how you've um, kind of taken mistakes and, and turned them into something useful. Yeah. Well, I, I think the, the biggest mistake I, I made initially was in hiring. You know, I hired people that I really liked and all, mm-hmm. but I didn't necessarily look at what kind of skills they had, you know. And then I realized, you know, my God, I'm going to have to grow these people up and <laughs> this is going to be a problem. So as I, as I said, that, that was a, a leadership uh, mistake. And then... You know, I, I probably sometimes I rush to delegate too quickly, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and people maybe at least want some supportive behavior. And so that's where this one-on-one uh, approach has really helped me and the people that work with me, where we can make sure that we do spend time with each other one-on-one and, and uh, how can I help you? And, you know, because that's the question at the beginning of every one-on-one meeting from the manager, I'll say, okay, how you doing? Is there anything I can do to help, you know? And tell me how you're doing and how can I help? 
and uh, so it's a uh, uh, so a lot of the things uh, I learned by by mistakes, uh, and and then I'd say, hmm, maybe you ought to practice your own theories. Can you? <laughs> You know, because I've read a lot of people over the years who are good theorists, but don't necessarily practice practice it when they uh, they deal with people. And so I wanted to uh, be more congruent. You know, yeah. I think the most important thing in life is that you walk your talk. You know, and and uh, so uh, my father always told me that about integrity. You know that that. Uh, all said and done, done, what people are going to really admire is, you know, do you do what you say you're going to do? Yeah. Is your integrity good? I agree. Well, we're almost going to wrap up, but I do have one more question for you. Um, we work with leaders in various stages of their uh, professional development. And that, when I say leaders, I mean people who are leading themselves included in that. Specifically, I'm curious about any advice you would give rising leaders? So that young professional who is aspiring to greater levels of responsibility, they want to uh, lead others, they might even want to lead teams and organizations. Is there any advice that you could give to them to help them more fully really grow into and embrace servant leadership? Well, one of the things is I, I got a chance to write a mentoring book with a fabulous gal uh, and uh, it's called One Minute Mentoring. And because I think one of the first things you ought to do when you're beginning anything is to try to find a mentor, find somebody who's good at what you're aspiring to do and see if they will mentor you. And, and a lot of people, they say, well, I don't want to ask them a burden. No, you're not talking about having a full-time job. You're saying, would you be willing to have lunch with me once in a while? And I'd love to pick your brain and, and, uh, and watch what you do. And, and so uh, having a mentor is really important. I was fortunate in having a great mentor with my father, you know, who was constantly got awards and everything because of his leadership in the Navy. And uh, so, uh, uh, so but I, I wrote the mentor book with Claire Diaz and, and uh, she's a fabulous gal uh, from living now in South America. Uh, but uh, it's uh, having somebody that can, and what we also have said in there is that every time you agree to be a mentor for somebody else, be ready because you're going to learn something too. Oh, yes. It's always a two-way two street. And so uh, I love to mentor people because I learn a lot from that. I also am not afraid to mentor, you know, like I, by Norman Vincent Peale and Truett Cathy and, and people like that, you know, that I learn from. My, my mother used to say to me, because I've written, I think, 65 books now, uh, why don't you write a book by yourself? Because I've only written two by myself, one on golf. So many people helped me on my golf game. I didn't know who to write it with. And, and then I wrote one on my spiritual journey. And I didn't think I could go order that except with the, the good Lord. And, uh, but because I like to learn, you know, because I tell I already know what I know, but I want to learn from other people. So every time I've written a book, it's in many ways, this has been a mentoring relationship, really. That's wonderful. Thank you for that. And thank you for your time this afternoon. I so appreciate it. Just, it's been such a delight talking to you and meeting you. 
And um, thank you for joining us okay. on the Slapcast. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure. And anytime I can get a chance to try to convince people that they ought to get out of their own way <laughs> and become a servant leader and not only get great results, but they'll get great human satisfaction. And that's a, that's a win. That's what you want. And it all comes from realizing that you're only here to serve, not to be served. And uh, so bless you all and, and go out and be, make a difference in people's lives. All right, Ken, it was so wonderful to have you on the Slapcast. Wow, what an amazing treasure trove of wisdom. Now, don't hesitate to reach out to us at slapcast at relayleadership.org. Follow us on the socials. We have a new way now that you can engage with us on an ongoing basis, not just through the Slapcast, but how you can get coaching and you can engage in ongoing leadership. And we have a subscription program that does that for you now. These plans include everything from a personal note from me, monthly group coaching, even access to an online video learning library. And this video learning library is robust. It comes from um, a partner called Right Now Media. And there are titles on there from folks like Ken Blanchard, John Maxwell, Patrick Lencioni, John Acuff. There are so many authors on there that have short video series to kind of enhance your leadership learning. And so that's one of the subscription levels that you can take advantage of. Go to relayleadership.com slash subscriptions, learn more, and make sure you shoot us a quick email if you have any questions. Okay, and next time. Ugh. Okay, until next time. <laughs>